everybody, welcome back to Discipleship Podcast. Just want to give you an update for the fall of 2023. We are talking about how to make the kingdom of God tangible in our everyday lives throughout the week. And on Sunday, we're meeting as house church. So these recordings will be a little more intimate and interactive, and you may even hear some group discussion, but I think you will enjoy it. Please, if you do, leave us a review, uh, go check out our Disciple Makers YouTube channel, and be sure to share about it with your friends. Thank you so much, and now, here's the episode. You know, I, I hope to ask one big important question in the middle of this sermon and spend some good time there and get some good answers there, but I did chuck the sermon I had planned because of a uh, what we talked about Friday night and thought, you know, this would be a lot better just to talk about the heart and address hearts. So we're talking about the heart today. Um, I think if I were to give it a title, I'd say it's refining adverbs and sometimes adjectives. When you look at a biblical text, what that means is you're going to see verbs like do this, don't do that, but you really got to look in the text for where the adverbs are. Like when we talked about uh, 2 Corinthians on Friday night, God loves a cheerful giver. And that's an adjective. But if it said giving, it would be an adverb. And it's the motive behind the verb. It's the heartstring that's attached right there. So refining adverbs. I remember once it was um, was a little bit uncomfortable. We were in a, a, a leaders meeting. This is probably like six or seven years ago. It was actually Maddie's dad who did it because uh, the, the leader gave a financial talk, and then Maddie's dad said, yeah, so who gave contribution today? Raise your hands. And about half the room raised their hands. We said, okay, so you're the Bible talk leaders. You're the leaders in the room. You guys need to set the example. And it was a little bit uncomfortable of, oh, man, I, I, you know, I'm sure everyone had a reason for why they didn't raise their hand that day. I can't remember if I raised mine or not, honestly, <laughs> on that day. Um, but he asked the question. And not that that's a question to ask all the time, but when we give each other permission to ask questions like that, to be a little bit uncomfortable, it can become the crux of discipleship because it's the crux of dealing with motivations. So in the follow-up, that's rich in D times on, well, where's your heart at? Let's talk about this rather than just, hey, who did this? Let's raise a hand. When you start there, it's uncomfortable. It's at the surface then you have to go deeper. Amen? Amen. Everyone with me on that? All right. So as I said, everyone get comfortable for the sermon today. Perhaps we'll get a little uncomfortable at the same time in the sermon today because of that. But if we never ask those questions, we never get to deal with the motives of the heart. You know, Friday night we're, hey, what, asking what changes are you willing to make as an individual? What changes are we willing to make as a church? And that can be uncomfortable at first. And a question like that alone wouldn't necessarily lead to repentance. Show of hands. (laughs) Veronica laughs. (laughs) No, uh, show of hands because um, perhaps we can be with one another even where we struggle Um, or with one another, maybe where we're just rocking it and we're succeeding in the spiritual life. And it's just good to relate, maybe even where we're not doing something, right? But show of hands, who who invited somebody to to church 
or to some church event in the past week. And I know half of us have been out of town for a wedding, so we have good excuses, and that's awesome. And, you know, so the past two weeks or, or three weeks, and you see there are more hands go up um, because there's nothing about, hey, that needs to happen every single week as a measure necessarily. Um, at the same time, it's a little bit revealing, right? And then we might ask a question like, well, why aren't more people uh, inviting people out to, to church things? That's where we got to start looking at the adverbs. We got to start looking at the heart. If, uh, if none of us were to raise our hands, then we'd say, oh, why don't we have a group that is uh, missional? Why don't we have a group that uh, is doing what Jesus did, sent into the world as sent ones? So we're going to ask questions like that. I'm not going to ask any more hand-raised questions, so don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> and I would say this, just to affirm right after that, that a lot of people in this room, everyone in this room, is good-hearted, faithful, consistent for the most part. But sometimes we've got to encourage one another. When we talk about sowing so that we can reap, when we look at the adverbs, we want to create an optimal environment for change, for transformation, for repentance, for refining the motives, refining the heart. You know, if we want to have good soil to sow in, we just want to make, man, the best church environment to experience the best transformation possible, right? We want to aim our discipleship towards that. Oh, good. Come on in, Rebecca. Hello. And Rebecca's sister. So we're talking about motives of heart. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Get comfortable. <laughs> when we're talking about, so then what is the optimal environment for transformation before the presence of Jesus? And I was thinking about that because that's what we say in our Disciple Maker's Pathway. Transformation before the presence of Jesus, that's where you want to be obeying him. But if your view of Jesus is a little bit skewed, that may not be a great presence for you. We're going to get into that. It's difficult things that test and expose our motives for doing them. So if you haven't dealt with your, your motives lately, perhaps you haven't been challenged lately in your faith. But when we're asked questions like, hey, how are you um, loving your neighbor, um, feeding the poor, just to throw out a couple of things, sometimes we're a little bit challenged. And we need to work on our motives a little bit, where our heart gets tested. Jesus was always concerned with getting back to the heart. You know, I don't really need to work on my motives if somebody is like, hey, you want to go on a hike or climb a mountain? I'm like, yeah, I'm there. And I'm running and I'm getting in the car and I'm like, yeah, we should probably wake up at five, you know, <laughs> or something like that to get over there. Um, but if somebody's Yesterday, I, I only tuned in for an hour and a half, but some other disciple makers were having a, a time of uh, four hours of prayer and fasting. And, um, 
and I meant to be over there except Teddy was sick. And so I, I did have to plan. I was going to drive over to Salem to be with them. I was just going to have to wake up at five. And, and there's a little part of me that said that as I have to wake up at five in order to get there at eight to do this thing in Salem rather than a get to, right? Rather than having that motive of heart. So an adverb, as I introduced this, when we refine the adverbs behind the verbs, like God loves a cheerful giver. Adverbs give texture and specificity to verbs in a text. Our verbs and our actions, that can be the surface discipleship. The adverbs are the deep waters. I can speak harshly or kindly, and the entire motivation and the entire impact is tied to the adverb rather than the verb to speak, right? We all know the difference of impact and intent if it's harsh or kind. The Puritans, they actually used to have a saying, God loveth adverbs, and they really focused on them. They really took the text to heart. There's a lot of great people that write great spiritual formation books out there that come out of the Puritan tradition. Uh, Richard Foster, right, and others. They knew that people do things for various reasons, but when we reflect on our adverbs, it can give life or death to our actions and our verbs. So there's the grammar lesson. That's what I mean by adverbs. That's the introduction. This morning, to give an example illustration, Saoirse said, uh, I said, yeah, we're having church today. And she said, today's Sunday? Our friends are coming over? Mama, we're having church today. And she said it really excitedly, and you could hear the adjectives and the adverbs. Sometimes when you're reading a play, they don't write the adverb in in the stage instructions, so they, they put a bracket in and they say, say this excitedly. <laughs> and so then you have to act it out. Um, but man, that's the way we should do everything as a church, right? With excited adverbs, with cheerful adverbs, not with begrudgingly or compelled or manipulated or coerced adverbs, right? That's what we want to have. Now, as I started to mention, though, um, those motives rise to the surface and they get revealed, like all the toys that were under this couch. They get revealed when things are challenging. Experience of disciple-making in the local church. I just got to say, that's very challenging. <laughs> Anyone who engages in disciple-making. Um, when we train people in disciple-making, it's a little bit challenging because we want it to mere life. And life is challenging. Um, and, and so we don't want to create some artificial environment that's less challenging than life itself. But when it is challenging, it reveals the heart like nothing else. Lots of people start a process, or as Jesus says, begin to build a tower. But then they need to check their hearts and count the costs along the way. And the ones that succeed are those with the motive that finds its origins in God, origins and ending in God, and can walk it out effectively when they can see God in it. And it, man, this really comes down to the individual heart to keep using our disciple makers pathway training as an example. Some people have gone through that and said, this is the most transformational thing in my life. And man, I want to be in the harvest field more than ever and 
in decades of discipleship. This is amazing. And others have said, you know, it's, it's really focused on the doing, and I'm really struggling to, to do it with the right reasons. And so both people have to, have to work on the heart. And that's important because you could go through a training or you could go through discipleship. We use the illustration of raising the sails to explain, explain that illustration. We can raise the sails, but only the Holy Spirit's going to bring the wind to bring you forward, to give you smooth sailing. Makes it a lot easier. But you could go through a training or something like that, um, rowing your own boat. And you'll get somewhere, but with a lot more work, <laughs> and you probably won't get nearly as far, and you're probably going to burn out a lot quicker. You don't want to be in the rowboat. You want to have smooth sailing. Do your part to raise the sails, but then be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead to real transformation, right? It can reveal hearts. That same uh, prayer and fasting call I was on yesterday, um, we're, we're just kind of throwing out confessions and one person threw out, she said, you know what, everyone else is obeying and making disciples and I'm not and that's really tough and I don't feel like I belong here. And after a couple hours of prayer and fasting and people just praising God, that changes the heart. You know, she was there because she wanted to work on her heart. And when you have discipleship times, whatever the, the doing or the verb or the task is, someone's going to say something very similar to you. Uh, my heart isn't in this. I'm not doing this. I, I don't feel great. I'm down on myself. You have to know how to, to minister to that heart. And probably do it more effectively than just look at Jesus or what would Jesus do? Not just give a, a religious answer, but relate to them and then redirect to Jesus. Yes, yes. Jesus set the bar this way, that challenging bar. You cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross. He raised the expectations. Motives rose to the service. Am I here to eat bread or am I here to follow Jesus? Some people only come out to church to pacify a spouse or to impress a girl or to impress a guy or many other motives like that that get revealed and don't last, right? So here's the thing. You, you can't really effectively change what a person does until you change the way they think because then it would only be behavior modification. The action is still equally important, but the thinking is important too. Because often a person doesn't change the way they think until they act, until they turn to God, until they take a step of faith in obeying Him and experiencing Him. But it has to be coupled with the right mind. So behavior modification alone, no good. Amen? Matthew 23, 3 says this. Let's dig into a scripture. We still should do the things, but we want to get the right heart behind the doing. Matthew 23, 3. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. This is Jesus speaking to them about the Pharisees. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
They had the words, they didn't have the actions. And they probably didn't really have the right heart, the right transformation. But Jesus says, yeah, absolutely, do the things. At first, discipleship is this very unnatural thing. It's an unnatural process to help us develop a life that naturally desires Christ and life within his community. But our flesh usually doesn't want anything to do with it, right? Um, I'll, I'll just say for myself, I have to refine that to say, yeah, I want other people to speak into my life and tell me what I'm not seeing and give me advice and um, suggest how I might live my life to become more like Jesus and enjoy the spiritual blessings there. That takes a little bit of humility. I'll, ju I'll just say it. it goes against my flesh. It's unnatural. Man, the more you become like Jesus, the more you're transformed, the more you experience some gospel-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered discipleship, it becomes a little more natural to seek Jesus, to want to become like Jesus. Dallas Willard says it this way, about all spiritual disciplines, it's not just discipleship, it's prayer goes against our flesh. Fasting goes against our flesh. He says this, Things we do by direct effort so we can develop the capacities to accomplish what we cannot yet accomplish by direct effort. To develop the kind of life where Christ becomes our natural desire. So we need discipline, accountability, encouragement that the discipleship process provides. I, I, I referenced it on Friday night, but to share the story again real quick. Um, I was out sharing my faith once on campus and just really down on myself, letting people pass me by and, oh, I'm not bold enough to speak to that person. I'm not bold enough to speak to that person. I'm not really doing what I ought to do. I know Jesus would want me to speak to them and just had to go to my knees. I was actually on a bench, but under a tree. And, uh, man, Jesus, I want to do this because you've blessed me. You've loved me. I want to be deliriously happy in doing this, and I want other people to experience your happiness. And sometimes I even get off track from wanting to have that heart, but I'm always wanting to experience Jesus in that way so that others can experience Jesus in that way. Those are the adverbs I want to have. My reason, my why behind the doing. <clears throat> I don't want it to just go against my flesh. You know, I, I want God to break my heart for the things that break his heart so that when I look out at the lost or I look out at a world that's not bringing glory to God, I want to cry out in prayer, God, I want your glory to be here. I want others to experience that. But again, sometimes the presence of God is a place where we get down on ourselves. So here's a question I want a few of us to answer, or as many as possible of us to answer. When you imagine God looking at you, what do you imagine? Looking at you and being with you, what do you imagine? Um, uh, for me, I imagine, well, the stereotype. Hmm. Good. Um, I try to 
of times when I don't imagine that, I imagine there you go. a demeaning figure yeah. scolding me. But, mm -hmm. but typically it's the, uh, or, or something I personally have to train to is, is when my dad is teaching me how to surf. Uh, so like, mm. you know, helping me kick out on the board and stuff like that. Yeah. That's good. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's this. And, and I'll share real quick. Sometimes when I go back to more of my flesh, I'm not always this deliriously happy Joey. Sometimes it is a, it's a God who says, uh, yeah, that's not enough. Um, whatever you're doing to grow the church or make disciples or pray, like, yeah, it's not enough. Do more. Um, do more to impress me or, or earn from me. Maybe that comes from my own view of my own father and upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, Megan and Madison. Um, I think for me, it's like <clears throat> a constant, like, he's, it's in my mind, in my imagining of it, it's like he's like kind of walking behind me, like following mm. me everywhere I go, and then it's like a, but as I'm doing things, he'll be like, uh, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Good, that's good. So everyone whisper mm, behind Megan now. No, <laughs> 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 yeah, I think like the my first um, thought is definitely the, the the God of all comfort, like the comforting father figure when you're hurting, when you are sad, anything. Yeah. Like, I, I really picture just the face of a father who's bringing a lot of comfort and kindness and gentleness. Silly mistake. Sounds like a Bob Ross, you know, happy accident. So I'm sorry. Yeah, when you imagine God looking at you, what do you imagine? Nadia. It's going to be really specific, but I think of like in high school when I had report cards. Oh. And I did grading classes that I like didn't like. That's honestly what it was. I didn't like it. That's good. Yeah. But my mom would always be like, 
you always be like really encouraging and really loving and she'd like sit you down and like be really nice but be like okay can you honestly say like you you really tried for this so it's mm. like I'm not excusing you and I'm going to question you but if you truly say you did your best like that's mm. okay and no matter what I love you but I'm still going to like and so you have this phrase mm. it's like the constant pressure yeah. relentlessly applied yeah constant <laughs> pressure relentlessly applied like gentle I'm always going to like gentle whatever gentle nudge you to be better and do yeah. your best but if you are like that's okay and mm. no matter what happens I love you like mm-hmm. I can kind of think of that that's good uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else, when you imagine God looking at you, what do you imagine? I think that um, I typically think of God in the context of seeing what all of us can and will become. Mm-hmm. And mm. um, as you know, these incredible, enduring, eternal beings um, that are created to That's good. It's a lot more than just me. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Guys, that's super rich. Thank you for sharing. Here's here's a few scriptures to write down to really anchor you in how God sees you. Uh, Number 6, 24 through 26. This is the, the priestly blessing. Moses tells, I believe, Aaron and Aaron's sons, bless the people with this one. So for me as a minister, man, I want people to know this blessing. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Man, that God is, we got to remind each other of that in our D times sometimes, right? God's face is shining upon you, like lit up and glowing. Man, we behold that beauty, behold his glory, like Jesse said, just everything that God is doing and accomplishing. And that's where we're transformed by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another, 1 Corinthians 3. Yeah. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. I love that, make his face shine upon you. And Old Testament scriptures talk about this all the time in the presence of God, how his face is looking upon you, and it emphasizes that. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of early child development when the parent stonewalls the child versus when they're laughing at the child and engaging with them. And when you stonewall the child, they get distressed and they start crying and... They mentally, it, it's just very upsetting for them. And that endured over time, they do not develop nearly as well or emotionally as well 
as a child that has a parent's face smiling upon them and shining towards them. So your view of God in that way is very, very important for your development as a disciple. Malachi 2.17, we referenced this Friday night, but... Well, Malachi 2.17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, and he's tired of their worship, he's tired of their lip service, um, he's tired of their verbs without the heart. But to encourage the heart, God says this, to the remedy to that, like, I'm tired of you guys worshiping when your heart isn't in it. God says, guard yourselves in your spirit. He repeats it, guard yourselves in your spirit. Take it to heart, lay it to heart. I have loved you, he says. So before you get to Malachi 3, you have robbed God. Remember Malachi 1, God, I have loved you, he says. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever more. I mean, that's God's disciple-making pathway. If, as we say on the pathway, it's transformation before the presence of God, that's a presence of joy when you're doing it with God. Joyful. And I think that's the best environment for, reap, for sowing and then reaping a righteous harvest. It's an environment of joy when we're working on our hearts, when we're taking these actions and sowing these things, because we're walking these paths with God in his presence, and it's one of joy. So I'll end with this, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. This is like a message paraphrase. I pray that you will really get how much you are loved by God, because if you could truly grasp this one thing, it would completely change your life. That's transformation within his presence, grasping how deep his love is. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. And God, I just repeat that because this is Paul, as I pray, Lord, we want to have this prayer that all of us would really get how much we are loved by you. Because God, if we could grasp that one thing, it would completely change our life. So Lord, whether it's... Uh, evangelism, prayer, fasting, contribution, whatever it is in, in walking this path of life, this, uh, this baptized life, this resurrected life, this immersed life in you, God. We want it to be, <laughs> if it's an immersed life, it's going to be done in your presence and fullness of joy, God. Uh, for me, I call that deliriously happy. Lord, uh, sometimes it goes against my flesh. Sometimes it goes against my view of you. So God, as we remember you right now in communion, help us to remember that it's you who got on the cross and took up the cross. It's you who first gave to us and loved us. For you so loved the world that you gave us your son. And that you so deeply love us, God, as we take the bread representing his body and juice representing his blood. God, we just thank you that you keep on giving to us. We thank you that you so deeply love us, that your face shines upon us, that you continue to bless us, God, so that we can love others, bless others. 
Lord, that we can continue to get the adverbs in place so that we can live out the verbs. And God, help us to relate to one another. Um, as much as we have fellowship and communion right now, help us to have it throughout the week so that we can hold one another up, that we can always get people to read Jesus, <laughs> read Jesus and refix our eyes on you to be motivated by you. In Jesus' name, amen.